my faith was just became like a philosophy really more about what I knew and not about personal relationship um, you know and once God doesn't mean that much to you in your daily life you know the next logical step is well then why believe why carry on believing um, um, and so as far as I was concerned I dismantled Christianity I'd I pulled back the curtain like in the Wizard of Oz and, and revealed what you know the real truth was and and that was how I saw it. So I, I saw a return to faith as, as really impossible um, because of where I'd arrived at. Um, and yet um, and it happened. Hello and thanks for joining in. I'm Jana Harmon and you're listening to the Side B Podcast where we hear how someone flips the record of their life from atheism to Christianity. Each podcast we typically listen to the story of someone who was an atheist and became a Christian. Today's story is a little bit different. Jim was a Christian who became an atheist who then found a more robust form of Christianity and reconverted. A committed Christian for 15 years, he left Christianity in his mid-30s and passionately identified as a humanist atheist for nine years. During that time, he genuinely could not see how he could possibly go back to believing in God again, and yet he did, with his faith even stronger for the experience. I hope you'll come and listen and explore Jim's extraordinary story with me. Welcome to the Side B Podcast, Jim. It's so great to have you. It's good to be talking with you. Oh, I love that uh, English accent. Uh, having having gone to school there, I'm sure our listeners will really appreciate it too. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, Jim? Uh, well, um, as you know, my name is Jim and um, from the UK. I live in Swindon currently, which is um, about 80 miles west of London, actually not that far from Oxford. Um, but I was brought up in uh, London, in the east side of London, um, a place called Raynham. And um, now I live in Swindon. I am uh, an IT audit manager. I've worked in IT for about 15 to 20 years. Um, I'm married to Liz. Um, and I have two kids, one Hannah, who's just recently got married, despite the uh, COVID-19 situation and the various lockdowns that we've had. And I have a son who's um, just finished secondary school and he's started college. Um, so that's us, family of four. Um, and I'm in my late 40s. And um, yeah, so that's a, a brief introduction to me. There's obviously more to say, but that's... Yeah, that's terrific. It certainly gives us an idea of of who you are and where you are in the world, really. And uh, congratulations on your daughter's wedding. Thank that's you. really wonderful. So let's go back uh, to your childhood. It sounds like in East London, where you grew up, yeah. to get your story started. Was God any part of the picture at all uh, among your family and your friends and even around your local culture? Well, um, I wasn't brought up a Christian. Um, but I was fairly ambivalent towards um, faith and religion, I'd say generally. Um, I, I would probably describe my upbringing as a very typical British um, upbringing where when it comes to faith and in particular Christianity, um, my, my views about Christianity were, were formed mostly through 
the lens of kind of popular cultural influences and um, references like Christmas and the, the nativity plays. Um, um, I think my my idea of Jesus was formed mostly through a film called Jesus of Nazareth that starred an actor called Robert Powell, who was a classic blue-eyed, dark-haired, European-looking man, um, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> who kind of wandered the hills of Palestine, sort of listfully floating around, um, making short sentence statements about different parables and perhaps not easily understood um, who was just a nice man who was mistreated by Roman soldiers. Um, and I think that's pretty much um, all I knew about Jesus. And my idea of, of religion was that it was just something that was there. I didn't, I, I neither um, was against faith and religion or for it. Um, um, it. You probably know that in the UK, we have a, a long history when it comes to Christianity and the church. We have the Church of England um, and we have a lot of pageantry and a lot of traditions. So I just saw Christianity as something that was very much tied to the Church of England, um, old churches, old parishes, um, and effectively just that Christianity was a way of being nice and being good, but wrapped up in religious ritual, I think is probably how I how I kind of saw it. Um, and my parents, um, they didn't go to church. Um, and again, they, I think they had a similar view Christianity was was something that was nice, um, but um, but not something that we that we particularly were invested in. And religion was okay as long as it, you know, it was it was on balance, and um, you know that you kept your feet firmly on the ground. Um, and I think probably that you know there was a sense of right and wrong that I had as a as a young person, but I didn't really think about where that's where that morality came from. I just kind of had that sense that, well, if there is a, if there is a God, I haven't robbed a supermarket, so I'll probably be okay. Um, mm. So, uh, so that was kind of my view of um, of Christianity. Not really, didn't really give it much thought, and um, was quite happy to, as a young person, explore life and all of life's opportunities. So, it sounds like you had a pretty good childhood and a, yeah. a nice family, a nice life. You did good things. You were a moral person, um, yeah. just along with the culture. Yeah. So what did, did you explore what you did believe if you didn't believe in religious institutions or in religious tenets, you know, that they were nice stories or cultural rituals, but not much more than that. Mm. Did you consider what you did believe at that point or was it just kind of going with the flow I think it was going with the flow more than anything and I think that you know this I um was brought up in the 80s in my teenage years and I don't know about elsewhere but I think for me the term atheist tended to have negative connotations of of some sort I don't know why um but I tended to uh, to think that so I wouldn't have described myself as an atheist. I just didn't really have any passionate um, views on faith or religion, and I didn't know much about religion. Um, a lot of that changed, though, when I went to university, and and it was um, when I went to Dundee University in Scotland, and that was um, a story of um, coming to terms with the 
the future that I was stepping into. I was doing a degree, but I was struggling with whether that degree was actually the degree that I wanted to do, um, asking questions about where it would lead to. And I think I did have periods of reflection as a young man at university um, who embraced all of the um, the social benefits, as I saw them, of being at a university, um, going out to pubs and drinking and socialising and all of that kind of thing. Um, and I found myself faced with the kind of life questions I think that a lot of people do ask themselves um, about um, life's meaning and life's purpose and um, where I was going. And so um, the, the kind of turning point for me was when I realised that I wasn't really taking care of myself and I was struggling with motivation, particularly to kind of think, well, what is the point? I could get this degree. I could aim for success, but I don't know what success looks like. I could aim for something in life, but I don't know what that purpose is. And I was missing out on a lot of lectures and not doing very well. And I realised that if I don't get my act together, um, you know, my life is just going to take a bit of a tumble um, and I need to do something about this. And so I decided that what I would do is I'd hang around with those friends that I knew who seemed to kind of do life pretty well and, um, you know, were, were disciplined when it came to study and seemed to be a good influence. And um, I didn't really realise this at the time, but it turned out that the, the group of people that I hung out with uh, were all Christians. Um, mm. And so I found myself in the company of Christians. And the strange thing is that I found out months later that um, in the corridor in Halls of Residence where I was staying, um, I think there were about three or four Christian guys who were all in this corridor um, half of whom had actually moved into that corridor in the first term through various reasons. And in fact, I myself had come to be in that corridor because there was a mix-up with the room allocation. Um, so there were, there were all these coincidences that, we, that, I, that I found out afterwards um, that led me to being surrounded by Christians. I was tripping over them. Yeah, I, I would imagine that would have been quite unusual, really, uh, in Britain, actually, in the yeah. 80s, like you said. It, it was a nominally Christian culture, but yeah. really not much more than that. So yeah, that is an interesting coincidence yeah, of right. sorts. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. And I, I, I often put it this way. I actually, I accidentally became a Christian. And what I mean by that <laughs> is um, I, was, uh, I was talking to... Um, a visiting friend of the guy opposite me is a chap called Ian. And I was in his room and this this uh, girl, Maggie, was was visiting. And, and she kept talking about this place called Mingus Hill. And I thought, I thought this was a park um, or a woodland or something. And eventually she said, would you like to come to Mingus Hill? Because we're going this afternoon. And I said, sure, why not? It was a nice sunny afternoon on a Sunday. So we were in the back of her car and I was talking to Ian. And I said, what kind of park? is this Mingus Hill? Is it like, um, you know, is it a park with swings or, you know, um, playgrounds and things like that? Is it, is it like an open kind of fields? And he just looked at me incredulously and said, Mingus Hill is a church. Um, <laughs> and, um, and, then, and I remember kind of thinking, I, I kind of felt two things really. One, I thought, oh my gosh, what have I done? And then the other thing I thought was, oh, actually it might be quite nice, you know, to go to church. And, um, 
and so I sat in this in this Church of um, Church of Scotland church, and I don't remember what the sermon was, but I do remember that I had a strong sense of being um, like a child, and um, a sense that there was something here where there was a second chance, a second opportunity for me to do life differently. And, mm. um, um, and a long story short, um, uh, I I went through a lot through this journey of discovering. Um, you know, the Bible, I read a gospel that somebody gave me, I was asking questions. And um, another Sunday, we went to the church and they had communion. And um, as they were passing around the bread and the wine, I said to Ian, should I take this? And he said, well, you, you ought to be a Christian if you're taking communion. And I said to him, well, my mum and dad never christened me when I was a child. Um because they thought, you know, faith needs to be your own decision. We won't baptise you as a as a young infant. And I, uh, this is almost embarrassing, I thought the word Christian came from christened. It didn't mm. dawn on me that the word Christian came from Christ. Um, so I yeah. assumed in my head that a Christian was someone who'd been baptised as an infant um, and had been through some kind of ceremony and declared by a vicar or a priest as a Christian and perhaps given some kind of scroll or certificate or something like that, you know. And so I said to Ian, you know, I wasn't christened. And he said, no, 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 it doesn't matter. That's not that, but you should be a Christian. And then afterwards, when we had a conversation um, um, about this, I I realised that we were getting our wires crossed. And I said to Ian, you know, I'm getting confused here. What is a Christian? And when he told me that a Christian is someone who believes in Jesus and and has decided to follow him, and that this was a personal decision that you made, not something that you are granted by an officiary. Um, I said to him, well, I did that last Wednesday. And he said, well, then you're a Christian. Um, and this was news to me. And the reason why is because, um, you know, I, it suddenly dawned on me that faith and religion can be quite different things. Um, it's one thing to have faith in and to follow and be committed to the person of Jesus Christ. It's another thing to just adopt a religious framework and yes. the kind of things and trappings that come with that. And, and yes. I, I was amazed by that. that. That was a real revelation to me because, again, having come from no Christian background at all, um, I was I was relieved and, and amazed and um, very grateful that actually I could um, call myself a Christian um, based not on, um, you know, the... Meeting certain requirements of an institution, so so that was how I first became a Christian at the age of nineteen at university um, in Scotland, in Dundee, and um, remained a Christian for fifteen years. So, obviously, something happened. But before we get to that, so your experience as a Christian for yeah. those did you say fifteen years? Yeah, yeah. Christian. How? How was your experience as a Christian uh, before you decided that wasn't for you? So um, I was very committed and um, I was part of a very strong Christian union at the university. Um, I read my Bible, um, prayed and shared the gospel where I could on campus. Um, And then after university, I spent a year on mission in Kenya with an organisation called Africa Inland Mission. Um, teaching in a school and preaching in a church just southeast of Nairobi. 
And then I came back to Dundee, and by this t- at this stage it was the mid nineties, and um, stayed in Scotland for a short while, and then moved back to London, and um, attended a church there, where I met my wife Liz, and um, we had our daughter Hannah, um, and so my my faith continued, and I was certainly very um, committed. So. Um, you know, if, if people ask, well, were you really a Christian? Did you really give your life to God? Were you really committed? Um, and the answer to that is absolutely yes. I was a Christian. I understood the gospel. I'd responded to it. And I had committed my life um, to Christ and chose to follow him. Um, I think what happened, though, um, is you don't just suddenly wake up one night and decide that you're going to throw all that away. Um, and... Um, it's it's a long story. Lots of different things happened, but I think that probably the way I would summarise it to begin with is that I started over years to lose the simplicity of the gospel. Um, my faith, which was based on the person I knew, became more about what I knew and whether I was right about things. Um, mm. And so... The, the relationship with God kind of took the backstage and what was front and centre stage was more whether I was right about different things. It was the gospel plus I have to have this doctrine right and I have to be right on this this kind of nature of, of Christian walk and Christian living. Um, and I think that, that sort of coupled with um, the kind of daily grind of life and trying to cut out a career, um, trying to cope with domestic life. Um, and also, um, I think when you when you go out into the outside world, um, I found that there were good people who were not Christians. Um, I mean, calling them good in the sense of, broadly speaking, the way one might use that term. Um, but there were people who were getting on with life who didn't have faith. And I think that if if faith becomes ordinary and and mundane, it just becomes less distinct. The Christian faith can become less distinct from any other religion um, or any other view. Um, and I think that there were also areas of my life where perhaps there were compromises, not necessarily big compromises, but I think that what I found was that my my life outside of church just, just looked very different from my life on a Sunday. And so I almost found myself living this dual life, really, where, um, you know, there was a kind of Christian side to me and it was compartmentalised away from, you know, the rest of me, which is all about trying to get on with life, trying to achieve things, trying to do well in my job, trying to get on with the people who I worked with, all of those kind mm. of things. Um, right. And I think that's what kind of happened over the years. Um and there was also this sense that um, um, your your faith and Christianity becomes more complex in the sense of you know you we all have to face into the fact that there are different denominations, um, there are different churches that Christians don't agree on everything. Um, but I think that um, for me, what what I I think happened was that. Um, Truth mattered, certainly mattered to me and continued to matter to me. Um, But I found myself 
feeling that my Christian life was so far away from the lives of those who I worked with who weren't Christians that it became very much an us and them kind of situation. Um, and it felt like um, that Christianity was and, and church was just becoming a smaller and smaller island, if you like, of people who agree with you. Um, and that was how I kind of, um, started to see it. You know, from a um, an emotional level, um, I I I found myself struggling with trying to balance um, the the kind of working life and the pressures of life with um, you know what faith meant to me on a daily kind of basis. And I think intellectually, I did I did have questions, but to begin with, I think um, that those questions weren't necessarily initially. Uh, a challenge to my faith in the sense that they would necessarily lead me to uh, reject my faith. I think what happened was it was a combination of all of these different things that kind of brought me to a point where, um, again, as I said, in, in some of the beginning, my faith was just became like a philosophy, really, more about what I knew and not about personal relationship. Um, you know, and once God doesn't mean that much to you in your daily life, you know, the next logical step is, well, then why believe? Why carry on believing? Um, Mm. um, And so um, I started to kind of investigate some questions. I was probably more um, uh, challenged around questions of science, um, particularly around um, our origins and evolution. Um, I was asking myself questions about that. I was asking myself questions about uh, salvation and what happens to people who haven't heard the gospel. These kind of things that that you know are, are challenges and that we try to grapple with. But I did it very much in isolation. Um, I didn't really talk to people about it. It was more of a an introverted journey that I went on. Um, and um, I, I think that that things just started to erode away. Um, and eventually, I remember I kind of raised some of these things with my wife um, one evening because she could tell that I just wasn't myself. And um, I, didn't, I was a bit reluctant to kind of open up. And she said, you're not yourself. What's going on? And it kind of opened up this door where suddenly I just blurted out all these different memes. Um, I think they called, aren't they? All these different kind of um, thoughts that I'd gathered together over a period of months and just sort of blurted out all these questions and doubts I was having and I think poor Liz just didn't have a clue where this came from she's like whoa where's all this coming from right Um, and so that was quite a a testing time I think my I I was probably already um I was probably already in my heart on my journey away from God at this stage but the one thing that I was concerned about was um you know I was a member of the church in uh, North Swindon I had a church community around me. My wife was still a Christian and I was obviously concerned about how this could affect my relationships, my relationship with my wife and, um, you know, with my family and those friends around me who were Christians. And that was obviously really important to me and I didn't want to, um, um, it wasn't so much I didn't want to disappoint them, um, but I didn't want that kind of, um, you know, I didn't want those relationships to break down so much certainly didn't want my marriage to break down and I was kind of faced with that do I just 
keep this to myself and keep going to church and just put on the kind of the white expression and and turn up, don't say anything, and then just live your life like that. And I kind of did that for six months. And then it all came to a head when um, one of the elders in the church said, could you give a testimony in a couple of weeks? And I think that was it, really. I thought, I don't think in good conscience that I could do that. And so I phoned him up and said, look, I'm really sorry, but um, I won't be coming to church anymore. Um, I just don't believe anymore. And I uh, I stopped attending. And then that was a, that led to um, obviously a challenging period for me and my wife to kind of reconcile that and, and work through that. I'd like to pause for a moment to tell you about an upcoming event. You may have heard of intellectual intelligence or emotional intelligence. Well, on November 12th, Dr. Daryl Bach is going to be talking about cultural intelligence. We live in an ever-changing world and want to understand and engage culture in a wise and winsome way. Just as the Apostle Paul was effective in communicating the gospel in his own time, people, and place, Professor Bach wants us to be effective in our own generation. Based upon Paul's example, he will help us understand how to navigate difficult conversations with those who don't share a Christian worldview, what it means to love from a biblical perspective, and how to best read and understand scripture as we are living Christ-centered lives. There's no charge for this event, but you must register to attend. You can attend either virtually or in person if you are in the Washington, D.C. area. To register, please go to www.cslewisinstitute.org forward slash cultural hyphen intelligence. We hope to see you there. Obviously, it was quite a surprise, a, stun, a stunning surprise for your wife. But I, I, as you were going through this process and you came to this culmination point and the church you you were forthright with them and truthful. Did they try to approach your doubts or skepticism with any kind of intention at all? Did they engage you on on why you had left, or did they just let you go? Um, they they did reach out to me. Um, they were very gracious, actually, and I think looking back, um, they they were really good. They were very gentle. Um, the um, the elder of the church um, who I called up to say um, I didn't believe anymore that the actual the, the pastor of the church was on furlough um, oh sorry sabbatical not furlough he was on sabbatical um, back in the US for a few months and so it was the um, it was one of the elders who uh, was was running things and he he met with me um, in a Starbucks coffee shop and just said you know and he just just wanted to understand what what's happened, and I talked to him about you know things like um, is the Bible really the Word of God? Um, how do we know it's uh, true? Um, you know, isn't it just that there was a council um, that made the decision that this is what is uh, what is um, scripture, what is canonical, and therefore isn't it all just man made? Um, you know, doesn't the science suggest that um, we've just evolved and that we are just physical material beings um, you know ha, ha, you know what about kind of rational thinking and reason shouldn't we be prepared to question 
um, why we believe things, and all sorts of things that kind of came up. Um, and um, I remember he 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 responded and said, "Well," and this is a bit embarrassing, really. He said, "Um." um I'm not very intellectual, and obviously you, you are, um, and you've got these questions, and I don't really have the answers to all of those, or I can't answer them sufficiently. Um, and um, said, but you know, I'm happy to kind of keep a dialogue with you. Um, and I'm a bit embarrassed by that in the sense that I don't see myself as very intellectual. I thought, well, actually, I don't know whether I hand on heart I could say that I'd fully investigated these things, or fully done my homework, um, or had given opportunity for engagement with somebody to say look I'm having these questions I want to um, explore them and I remember when the pastor um, returned from sabbatical uh, in the US and 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 he'd found out anyway because they called him on the phone and said look you know Jim's not attending church anymore and he got in touch and said hey I'd love to meet you for a coffee um, and by this point my attitude at the time is very defensive I think I kind of saw myself as, look, you know, I've been a born again Christian. I'm um, familiar with the inner workings of evangelical Christianity. You can't fool me. Um, I know your tricks. I know you're just trying to bring me back in. And so I kind of had this very defensive, um, non-engaging position that I'd, I'd adopted um, and thought, well, look, I'll, I'll do the honour of meeting, you know, with you and, and, and have a, a coffee. And um, he, uh, he he asked a few questions, and you know, um, uh, we, we had a bit of a discussion. And he certainly he certainly struck me as someone from his answers who had a lot more to say, and said there were really good answers to these questions. Um, and a lot of what you said, I think, you know, it, it isn't isn't strictly true. Um, and he said, I've been reading the God Delusion by Richard Dawkins, and um, you know, do you want to go through that? Um, and I'd read the God delusion. Um, but I, I remember I just turned him down. I said, no, um, I'd rather just carry on with my life. Um, and I remember he was really disappointed. I remember walking away from that meeting and the look of disappointment on his face because I wasn't prepared to engage. And I think, again, this is because, um, you know, um, I know everyone's experience is different. And, um, you know, some people would, would, would say that they don't feel the same way. But um, even in my atheism and my scepticism, while I was convinced that it was purely on intellectual grounds, um, there was definitely a heart decision to it as well. Um, and I don't think I was fully honest with myself at the time, but um, I was already determined not to believe and the kind of intellectual questions that I had and the um, the... I guess the, the arguments that I felt that I'd formulated and that I'd heard particularly online from the new atheists like Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens, they were really just uh, a, a means to substantiate the decision that I'd made to leave church and to give me good grounds for it and to feel that it was okay what I'd done and that I'd done the right thing and it was rational and reasonable and so on. Um, but my wife carried on going to church and I did... Um, um, attend the occasional lunch with um, some friends from church who were very careful not to bring up the topic of faith. Um, and, and in some ways it was frustrating because I remember I was kind of thinking, just you wait, you know, the first moment someone brings this up, then I can, you know, let them have it. 
Um, and, um, you know, and tell them all the reasons why, you know, don't you realise these things that you haven't thought of, you're just blindly following this faith and I've seen the light and I've, you know, I've now decided to use my head and reason and logic and all those kind of faculties that, um, you know, that I have to, to make a decision on this and you're just blindly following faith and carrying on. And of course it didn't come up. They just, they just shared meals and, um, and that was it. It was nine years I was um, an atheist. Um, but when I when I left church, I'd made the decision that I didn't believe in God anymore. But I I wanted to land somewhere. I wasn't satisfied with saying what I didn't believe. Um, I certainly felt well. Like, what, what do I think then? I don't want to mm. be a non-person. I don't want to be somebody who just doesn't believe. You know, I I do want there to be some kind of foundation for my life. What is that? And so I kind of did. The usual thing that a lot of people do in this day and age that we live in. I used Google um, and, you know, looked on the internet and I came across some different organisations. But then I came across humanism. And of course, I'd heard of the term humanism, but didn't know much about it. And um, I thought, oh, humanist sounds good, because at least that, you know, this is something where we're saying, look, we're all in it together. We're human beings. Our, our morality and our reason and our purpose comes from within it comes from a shared human kind of collective view of things um and so that seemed more attractive and it seemed a bit more positive than atheist so i thought oh, okay humanist sounds good um so um so i i very strongly identified um in those certainly in those early years as um an atheist humanist um uh, so so i didn't just backslide um i didn't just kind of slip away or just stop going to church because of um you know, there was no particular hurt, actually. You know, when I, when I, <laughs> I did it, you know, 100 miles an hour, um, you know, and actually I, I, you know, I would say that I did go as far as saying I'm not just an atheist, I'm an atheist naturalist, you know. Um, okay. Probably aware that, you know, Richard Dawkins has um, famous for that quote, I won't be able to remember it word for word, but he said something like, we are just dancing to the tune of our DNA. Uh, right and to the sound of the universe and that this universe is is, is not possible it's just a cold universe and, right it's a and very it, sobered perspective yeah, yeah. And, and i and i um at the time i appreciated that i just thought you know this is honest atheism you know this is you know um this is where uh atheism should logically lead you to it should lead you to naturalism because anything other than that is is just a compromise you know um, right. there can't, can't be anything other than just the natural things at the time I certainly felt at least he's honest about his atheism that there is no hope <laughs> and um you know and there is no purpose and that was how I felt that that's a little bit interesting or a little bit ironic even for someone who early on was really searching for meaning purpose and you know looking at their future yeah and desiring a worldview that actually provided substance towards that or um, as compared to the naturalist who, as you said in Dawkins' quote, there is no real meaning or purpose. You're just dancing to the music of your DNA, right? Everything's determined. There's no free will. There's no real purpose, no good and evil. If you if you are that honest atheist, naturalist, mm. did that not disturb you on any level? How did I feel? I guess um, I kind of satisfied myself that you know well if this is it then this is it you know um and there are very intelligent people who 
who believe this and accept it and yet still get on with their lives. And maybe the biggest challenge I've got is to find a way of continuing with life, carrying on with a purpose as if there is a purpose, even though philosophically I was at a position where I didn't feel that there was objective purpose or objective meaning. If we look at the world around us, you know, we, we don't, we don't look at people who are constantly on a day-to-day basis struggling with existential philosophical you know, problems about who they are and what their, their meaning in life is. Not to say that people don't think about these things, they do. But by and large, when you look at the world around you, you see people getting on with their lives. And I think I was kind of envious of those who'd never thought about God and never thought about um, theism or atheism before. They, they, they just... Um, ate and drank, had family time, and enjoyed life as much as they could. Um, yes, they had their you know struggles and tried to cope with them. And I kind of envied that because I thought, well, the toothpaste is out of the tube now. You know, I can't go back <laughs> yes. to a position of just it doesn't matter. Um, you know, because I knew that it did matter, and and I can't just switch my mind off to it. So, um, so it was a bit of a struggle. But I think what I did was I just pushed certain things down beneath the surface, and kind of wrap myself up in this this view that the most important thing for me is to uh, be to be true to myself which is true of anyone um uh, to be honest about you know um how I feel about things and uh, find a way to keep going with my marriage find a way to um to keep living a fulfilling life um be the best dad that I can be be the best husband that I can be I certainly didn't want my marriage to suffer as a result or fail as a result um so you know there's something to work on and you know keep going with my career um and find purpose in that even if actually there isn't really anything even if that is just a um an illusion if you like of the mind that says that there is a purpose and it's just something that's you know just synaptic you know gaps um firing away in your brain and that's actually why you think that there is purpose and meaning to life, you know, even if that's true, just, just kind of carry on regardless. And um, um, so I think that, and it's interesting you bring this up because I think there was this transition from a very um, passionate, you know, I've stepped away from God and I'm really affirming myself as a sceptic, atheist, humanist. And I was very defensive about that. Hearing someone like Christopher Hitchens, who was, you know, just so so florid in his language, so fluid in the way that he could present um, his ideas. Um, he was just really good to listen to, and I'd listen to Richard Dawkins. In fact, I met Richard Dawkins. I went to a, um, a book signing after a debate between Richard Dawkins and Professor Robert Winston, um, and um, I remember queuing up, and I, I got to the desk, and there's Richard Dawkins in front of me, my hero um, <laughs> at the time. And... Um, and I said to him, um, I used to be a Christian and I'm not anymore. I, I remember he just he just looked at me. And there was this awkward silence for about five seconds. And then I, and then I just thought, um, what, I've got to say something. So I said, oh, um, it's it's Jim. Could you just put to Jim and sign your name, please? And, and he did that and handed me the book. And I, I walked And away. no words, nothing. No words at all. And it was just... <laughs> It was bizarre. It was just a really strange encounter. And I was really disappointed. Oh. 
I thought he'd be like dancing in his chair, thinking, "Oh, right, a convert away from Christianity to atheism," and you know, and would be. And he just didn't say a word. It was really odd. Um, but um, awkward. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> This is kind of that first phase of scepticism for me where I was, you know, I was like, um, I'd wrap myself up in these um, warmly affirming, um, your right to be an atheist, here's some really clever words and some clever arguments to kind of right. you know, keep you in that position. And whenever your wife gets home from church and with the kids, you know, um, you just you just remember that, you know, you just get the latest newsletter from the British Humanist Association through the post and read that. And, you know, and I would just do all these things. I, I, I wasn't a very, um, um, how can I put it? I wasn't very adversarial because, uh, or combative, because again, I knew that my wife was, was um, going to church still. I didn't actually meet with humanists personally and join the group personally. I did all of this very much at a distance um okay. you know just within myself probably because i felt that actually that might be too much it might just cause there to be too much conflict and then of course rather selfish i thought well if all things go wrong then it'd be me who gets the blame you see so i was a bit selfish i'm sorry to say but um you know so so a lot of this was kind of private thoughts and private readings um but then things changed a little bit because um I again, as we said before, I started to kind of move into this stage of I just want to get on with life and um, I just want to kind of move forward. And so fast forward a few years, um, I, I found myself becoming, um, it wasn't so much that I wasn't encouraged, I wasn't convinced by the arguments anymore, but my experience was that it felt like a lot of the humanist narrative that I was exposed to in social media, in um, the different kind of literature that I'd receive, and so on. It seems to be whatever the church is saying, we're opposed to it. Mm. Uh, you know, whatever religion says, we're opposed to it. And and I kind of found myself becoming a bit tired of it. And, and you know, particularly when there's that kind of famous message that Richard Dawkins gave, and he said, you know, we just shouldn't debate um, people of faith. They're not worthy of debate. We should mock them. We should ridicule them. Uh, at the Reason Rally, I believe he said yeah. that. And, and, yes. I, and I just thought, but hang on a minute. You know, the, these friends of mine who I met at university who were Christians, they were intelligent people. Um, you know, I knew of some who were far brighter than I was. Um, far more academic and they were Christians and I just thought and I know friends and family who are Christians and I thought I don't feel that way towards them and I, I and I have to say it's it's it, it's absolutely right to say not every atheist or skeptic feels that way um, and we certainly shouldn't assume that that is a typical kind of view that they have and I know a lot of um, atheists have come out and said that you know they don't think that Richard Dawkins was right to say that kind of thing because um, it's not helpful we don't want to tar everybody with the same brush um but i think what happened during that time was i just softened i think the defensiveness that i had had the mm. opposition to any attempts to engage um had just softened and and i kind of found myself thinking do you know what i won't re renew my membership of the, the british humanist association i was only a member for a year um so i didn't contribute much um and um you know I, i'll just kind of settle down a bit and and you know not be so um 
uh, yeah, just so defensive, I guess. Um, and so life kind of carried on for, for a few years. But, um, you know, I joined a band and um, I, you know, I was doing well with work. I did creative things um, and sort of carried on in, in that kind of vein. And then I hit this um, period where it was really fun. It was really funny. There was one um, friend, I can't remember who it was, but I do remember the conversation. And I, I did share with people who'd never been Christians before um, that I was an ex-Christian. And I always found it really difficult to try and explain to them how important that was, um, you know, and, and how, um, you know, uh, from from their experience, having not been a Christian, they they just kind of saw it as, oh, right, okay, you know, so you don't believe anymore. Well, that's all right, isn't it? Everyone can just get on with their lives. And I was like, no, you don't understand. This is um, this is a really huge thing. You know, I, I don't, I'm not a Christian anymore. And, and don't you realise that, that Christians think that this is really important and that, you know, your life depends on this decision and um, and how important it is that we, we use our minds and all this kind of thing. But um, but most I remember having a conversation like that and the, the response I got back was, well, you don't know, one day you might come back to faith, you might change your mind. And I said mm. to them, I can't honestly see how that would be possible, given that now I've, as far as I was concerned, I'd dismantled Christianity, I'd I pulled back the curtain like in the Wizard of Oz and and revealed what you know the real truth was and and that was how I saw it. So I I saw a return to faith as as really impossible um, because of where I'd arrived at, um, and yet um, and it happened. And yet, so how how did you make that turn? What happened that caused you to reconsider? Um, a number of different things. Um, I think, first of all, we had a que- I had a question, um, or I had a conversation, I should say, with a friend of mine, and we were talking about um, our lives, and I just said, you know what, um, I've got a great job, I'm really appreciative of my life, um, you know, my, my job's going well, and it's fulfilling-ish, I mean, obviously, there's always something else that one would like to do differently, perhaps. Um, you know, my family's great. I live in a, in, in a comfortable house. Um, you know, I can take the dog for a walk with a view over Swindon and it's lovely in the mornings. I'm in a band, playing bass in a band. And I remember saying, if I could go back to my 18-year-old self, I know that if I said, this is what your life would end up, my 18-year-old self would say, hey, I've made it. You know, I've done all right. Um and I remember having this conversation, and then a couple of days later, I was thinking about this, and I had probably a similar question to what I had right back when I was nineteen. I just thought, yeah, but so what? Um, you know, so what? You know, what do I do next? What is the rest of my life going to be like? And and where is meaning and purpose in life? And that question came up again, of you know, um, the big kind of so what question. Uh, what is what is the purpose of life, and what it, and what meaning is there? And is it just manufactured? Is it just a way of kind of coping to get through your existence? And I kind of had this little alarm bell going. Uh oh, hang on a minute. You know, let's not go there. That's going to kind of lead me to to God again. So I kind of brushed that under the carpet. And um, but then other things happened. I remember there was um, a time when I was sitting. Um, outside on a bench outside my house um one summer's evening and I was thinking about 
my career and my job. And again, I, I enjoyed it and I liked it, but I was also kind of thinking, I feel that I want to do something different. And I was kind of going through this little struggle. And this thought came to mind that, hey, one day I would have prayed about this, but I don't have that opportunity now. That's not available mm-hmm. to me anymore. And there was a kind of sense of personal reflection. This wasn't an intellectual exercise. It was just simply asking, I guess, the beginnings of the question, why did I walk away? Why did I choose to actually abandon my faith? Given that there are other believers who must have gone through similar things, who must have had similar struggles, um, probably some who've gone through far worse situations than I've gone through, and yet have kept their faith. And I thought of people like, you know, Koi Ten Boom and, um, you know, others like that who I just thought, look, their lives weren't anywhere near as comfortable as mine is. You know, I'm so grateful for the life that I've got relative to others. And yet, you know, others have stayed have stayed the course. Um, and, and I think because I was, already, I was already in a place where I'd softened a bit and I'd become less, um, you know, less uh, defensive and kind of just, just more open generally. And I kind of entered this period of reflection. Um, and I remember lying in bed one night and, and thinking back through my life. And it was really strange, actually. It was an interesting um, time because I was, I was kind of looking back at all the different years, uh, every year of my life from the age of 19 and all the different events that had happened. And it was almost like my life was kind of being played out and I just couldn't sleep. And, and I kind of woke up the next morning with that question of, you know, had I made the right decision? Was it all about the intellectual doubts or, or was there something else? Um, and so I, I thought I need to I need to kind of address this again. What's my biggest obstacle? And I thought, OK, let's look at let's look at science. Let's see if there's anyone who said something about this in response to the kind of new atheist um, uh, monologue that's come out of you know people like Dawkins and Hitchens and so on and I don't remember how I found it I did a search on my Kindle to look for a good book to read I just thought I want to read something that's by somebody who's at a university that is a reputable university and not a Christian institute (laughs) Um, so I I kind of did this search um, and I came across this um, book called uh, I think it's called Gunning for God Mm. a man called John Lennox, um, who is a professor of mathematics at Oxford University. And I thought, oh, Oxford, that will do. And it was, I I think the subtext to that was something like why the new atheists are missing the mark or something like that. And and so I I read that and I I started to read, um, uh, you know, um, the the writings and hear some of the the counter-arguments to those typical arguments that I'd seen from the new atheists talking about, you know, um, uh, whether religion was the root of all evil, whether it was a poison, as Christopher Hitchens called it, um, you know, whether um, Jesus really did rise from the dead and what the evidence of that is. And I I also kind of read other books by John Lennox as well. Um, In a short period of time, and I did all this secretly without my wife knowing, um, because, again, I think just being that introverted thinker i i just thought well i'll just this is my own little journey i'll just think about these things and then um uh i i think what challenged me was i was confronted with um the realization that i'd probably put obstacles in the way of faith that weren't really legitimate obstacles that were 
um, you know, were, were kind of false obstacles and, and barriers to, to continuing believing. And the big thing for me was about um, evolution and, you know, what our origins are. And, you know, my view when I was a Christian was that if, if you believe that the Bible is inerrant and um, is inspired, then you are committed to a six-day uh, uh, six um, creation event and a 6,000-year-old earth. And if you can't commit to that, then you're not somebody who takes Scripture seriously. Um, and so that I, and I, I, I found that when I read what John Lennox had to say on that, that he, he just said, actually, that's not the case, um, that actually, um, you know, that view on the age of the earth and on, on the six days of creation um, has been debated for hundreds and hundreds of years. It's not a new thing. And um, just kind of challenged my thinking on that. Um, and so um, I started to kind of unpick this view that reason and rationality and logic are tools that are exclusively for use by atheists and non-theists and sceptics and that um, faith is something that is purely a blind faith um, and, and lots of other things as well. But I found um, John Lennox, you know, the way he wrote and the way he expressed himself was, was, um, was really clear, really articulate um, and also very fair. And um, I also listened to or watched online um, a, a couple of sermons by a friend of mine uh, called uh, Gavin, who was at university that he gave at his church in Perth um, about the kingdom and the covenant. And it was almost like just being reintroduced to the gospel again, but but hearing the gospel in the context of the entire Old Testament and New Testament. And um, I went for a walk on the with the dog um, to um, a little parkland that overlooks Swindon. And I remember I sat down and I was thinking about all this and I just thought, do you know what? I could investigate everything and keep investigating and then look at a counterclaim or a counter argument and then look at the counter counter argument and keep going um, how much knowledge do i have to amass before i can be satisfied on this question of whether god exists or not and whether he wants to relate to me or not and i realized that um you know if i'm not careful my my kind of project that I'd embarked on would just be this never-ending constant series of questions and it's good to question I'm not saying at all that that shouldn't happen it's absolutely right that we ask questions but at some point we we have to get to a, a stage where we stop and make a decision and so I found myself saying in the first prayer of nine years which was okay God if you're there and you're real I'm prepared to think about you again and that's as far as I was prepared to go um, <laughs> you know and it wasn't really a prayer it was more just a kind of a statement and then I walked away and kind of went home and it was actually just a couple of weeks later that I found myself in the same spot and um I just thought you know what I it it all it all starts to make sense and I don't know if you recall um there were these pictures that were really popular about 20 years ago I think they were computer images they used to call them magic eye and you get like a a book of them and they they just look like these really complex patterns um and but if you were to kind of look at them carefully there should be a, like a 3d you should see a 3d kind of image um yes. by staring at them and and i can only liken it to this that what i realized that 
I needed to do was not focus on the individual patterns, not focus on every single individual question, um, but to kind of just step back, take time, reflect, and 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 look at you know the big picture. Um, and when I did that, it just felt to me like there was a coherent message behind all of these all of these kind of questions that I had and all of the answers that I felt were there. But what I mean by that is that that the thing that made most sense of what I observed in the world around me and what my experience of life was, the, the thing that made most sense um, about that was that there was a God, that he does exist, that we are creative beings, that we are immaterial minds and not just physical brains, that the universe hasn't existed for eternity and didn't just pop into existence by magic, but had a beginning. And that there is a, a, um, a meaning to life um, uh, that has been given to us externally by a God who has given life meaning in the first place and given us meaning. Um, and so I, I then found myself thinking about Psalm 139, which came to mind. Um, you, I think there's a part, isn't it, where it says, you know, my thoughts or you perceive my thoughts from afar. And I was just reflecting on how that psalm talks about, you know, God knowing our minds and knowing our thoughts. And I thought, you know, God knows the questions that I've got and he understands them. Um, he knows why I made the decisions that I made. And in that kind of process of reflection, I just um, prayed the prayer and just said, God, I'm, I'm, I'm yours again. I'm back and um, recommitted my life to him. I'd like to take a moment to let you know that the C.S. Lewis Institute has a wealth of resources available to you to encourage discipleship in the legacy of C.S. Lewis, deepening, strengthening, and living out your faith through your mind, heart, and hands. This month, the C.S. Lewis Institute is highlighting resources that help and encourage you to share your faith with those who don't know Christ. On their website, you'll find articles, videos, podcasts, study courses and recommended readings. To find all of these helpful materials, please go to www.cslewisinstitute.org forward slash sharing your faith. Now back to our story. Well, that's that's an amazing story. And you, you speak of the process, the journey in such eloquent terms. And, and I'm very struck by your self-awareness of the different aspects of your journey, whether it be intellectual or existential, your awareness of your openness or resistance, um, perhaps your the way that you describe yourself as an intellectual or an introverted thinker, I think you said. Yeah. Um, it, it You are very thoughtful, and we are the... Uh, uh, grateful recipients of that thought process because you've made it so clear. Some of your story reminds me a little bit of the way Esther Meeks describes um, what she what she calls knowing God in a, her book called Longing to Know. And that She describes that same thing as the 3D picture wow. that you can, it is there to see, but you have to have the intention and the willingness to reflect, to see it. Yeah. So in the same way in which you, 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 you sat back, you, you thought, you studied, you listened, you reflected, 
and then the picture came into being. You know, it, it made sense. You were able to to see all of these things coming together, like you say, the world around you and the experience of your own life. That yeah. the Christian worldview is is uh, like you say, coherent. It's comprehensive. It, it seems to connect with what we experience in reality. And yeah, you what a beautiful story you have. I do have a question. Um, what was, you know, a couple of things with regard to your wife. One is that you resisted the, um, the mocking, the ridicule of the Christian. I, and I wonder if some of that had to do with the fact that you were actually, you knew Christians personally. It's easy to have an us-them mentality. It's easy to dehumanize or degrade the other. Mm -hmm. But when you're actually married to someone who calls himself a Christian, when you have friends, like you said, that are intellectual, that are loving, that actually belong to you, I think that there's – that's not an easy – that's not an easy determination in terms of I'll just ridicule and mock and dismiss. You can't just do that because you experientially know different, yeah, um, differently. And so uh, I wondered if you could speak to that as well as, and I, I also wondered with regard to your wife, hmm. because I know that people listening have a spouse or yeah. someone they love who does not believe hmm. uh, see things quite differently. I wondered how your wife's response to your disbelief affected mm-hmm. your not only your perspective about Christianity, but your willingness to come back to it. Yeah. Um, it wasn't easy. I think um, when I first, when it first became clear that I was having doubts about the Christian faith and um particularly through the period where I made clear my intentions to leave church and not believe anymore. I think the the initial response from my wife was, you know, she was shocked and um, she was concerned. And um, and rightly so, because, you, you know, faith is really important. And, you know, we met as believers um, and we had shared, you know, a, a, a common love for God and each other we we'd got married um under a covenant before god and so all these things were important and and i wasn't naive to uh the impact that the, that this would have on liz um and so it was absolutely right that you know she responded initially with that um that that shock um, and that concern and you know what does this mean for us what does this mean for our marriage um and you know i tried to assure her that look this you know we will find a way to carry on and we will just have to kind of get through things i think probably the biggest challenge um for liz and the thing that she struggled with most was just kind of knowing how to respond around me um you know knowing how to not push too hard um she certainly didn't want to stop going to church herself and she didn't want to stop taking the children to church and we agreed fairly early on I think actually she was quite <laughs> she was quite firm on that. She said, you know, this is your journey, but I don't want this to, to result in the kids not going to church. And I said, that's mm. fine. And I think I probably, you know, if I'm honest, I said, that's fine. And then, you know, behind behind um, the scenes whispered, don't worry, I'll get them somehow. 
Um, yeah, <laughs> they'll, they'll hear what I have to say on this by some other kind of gratuitous route. Um, but um, so I think that was the the initial response to that, and it was it was difficult. We had to kind of work things out, and there were difficult conversations. There were awkward moments. I think I probably said some things that were just a bit insensitive, really. That was just me blurting out, um, you know, kind of different. Um, new feelings, thoughts that I'd had about the Christian faith. Um, so we kind of had to wrestle with that and work it out. But I think underneath that, you know, um, what mattered was, you know, she was definitely determined to keep her marriage intact and so was I. And, you know, I had no doubt that Liz wanted me to believe again, of course, and that the people in the church would want me to believe again. But, you know, we after, after a couple of years, things just kind of settled down. Um, I think from Liz's point of view, I know she was praying for me and I know that she's, um, you know, she prayed, Lord, may it only go so far, um, you know, and no more. Um, because because part of the, um, you know, and I guess this is this is something that, that perhaps Christians do wrestle with, is if you, if you don't have an objective morality, then where's that going to lead you? Um, you know where 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 does the buck stop? Where where do you get your boundaries from? Um, and thankfully, I was really I was really keen to make sure that that um, you know there could be no accusations made against me that I'd suddenly gone from this life of being a Christian to you know a life of you know doing all the wrong kind of things and a life of depravity and you know and and um, and so on and um, so. So I was really keen to make sure that, you know, just because I don't believe anymore doesn't mean I'm going to go away and, you know, get drunk every night and, um, you know, do drugs or or whatever. Um, I still feel that there are boundaries in life and I want to, you know, um, to honour those. Um, and I think the, you know, once we kind of had that period of time where we both got that assurance that our marriage could keep going and that we could, you know, we could still relate to each other, albeit with this, with you know, with this change um in belief that I'd had um we you know we just we just kind of got settled into um uh, normal normal life and um I, I I but I think you know it has to be said I know Liz would say um to someone who has a spouse who doesn't believe is to not uh, to be gentle um to not push too hard and to keep praying i remember um liz actually this is the year leading up to me coming back to faith um liz um invited me she'd gone to a, a, a new church by this stage that i wasn't familiar with and she said oh we're having a picnic on a sunday afternoon would you like to come you don't have to um it would just be really nice if you could be there because it's a nice sunny day and i said yes and i said yes because i i was not in that stage of being really defensive so i thought okay why not and it was just a picnic um, there was another Sunday afternoon where there was a barbecue at someone's house and I came along and if I could if I heard a conversation where people got onto the God stuff I'd walk away and mingle somewhere else um, but I remember having a conversation with somebody about music um, for quite a long time and it was a really lovely conversation um, and so you know that I think that kind of epitomizes where I was at was you know what I'm prepared to just meet with people and, um, and and that really helped I think just just being able to connect with people and I think that helped Liz as well to kind of see that I was, I was willing to do that. Um, so yeah. Mm. 
I think that'll be very helpful. Jim, as we're winding up here, can you speak to the curious skeptic who might be reflecting a bit, perhaps, or curious or just about um, their own beliefs, uh, perhaps thinking about the meaning and purpose in their own life or wherever it is they are, or or perhaps thinking that there is no intellectual substance to Christianity. There's a lot of things that you can speak to. Um, mm-hmm. what, would, what would you tell someone like that who might be listening? Um, the one thing that I do feel passionately about is this view that reason and rationality and logic are devices that are solely for the use of atheists and skeptics and non-theists. Um, and that that belief in the God of Christianity um, is a belief that you can reach that is um, completely consistent with your ability to reason and to think. Um, I think the, the idea that reason and rationality is not available to the Christian or that the Christian faith and belief in God cannot be supported rationally, um, I think that's the one thing that I would say I really would like to challenge uh, people on. Um, You know, there are um, people of all backgrounds, people of all levels of education, from Nobel Prize winning physicists to sports personalities to former terrorists um, in every different country, all forms of culture, all different types of culture, um, throughout history, in different times in the timeline of human history, who have uh, found a reason to believe. And um, I think for, for me, the question, you know, the, the, the encouragement that I would give is to make the distinction between teasing apart the arguments and um, trying to understand difficulties and finding answers to these questions. And try and see that as something that is important, but it's not the whole picture. Um, There's a really interesting introduction in a book called Basic Christianity by John Stott. And he talks about how a young man in his congregation um, was having questions and met with him and said, you know, I just don't think I believe anymore. Um, I'm going to be leaving church. And John Stott said to him, if I was to answer all of your questions to your intellectual satisfaction, would you change the way you lived? And the look on the young man's face said that he wouldn't. And so it kind of begs the question, so is it just about intellectual thinking or is there something else? Um, John Stott said that this man's problem wasn't intellectual, it was it was moral. But if it's with your heart that you believed, is it not also the case it's with your heart that you don't believe? And I think that's the thing that I would, I would sort of put out there is, you know, take yourself away from all of the noise of the debates for a moment. Go and sit on a hillside. Go and take yourself away to a quiet place um, and give yourself that room to examine yourself um, and, and think about, you know, what is that point that I would get to where I say, okay, I've answered enough. I've searched enough, I've discovered enough, um, and and now is the time to make a decision. Because if you do that, 
and you find that actually the answer is, well, there never will be, then you have to ask yourself the question, so is it really an intellectual reason why I don't believe in God? Is that really the barrier that's preventing me from making that decision? I think that's really excellent, uh, very challenging, both, like you say, challenging and encouraging, I think, for all of us in terms of why we believe what we believe and what we tell ourselves why we believe what we believe. Sometimes those can be two very different things. Yeah. If you were to, to speak to the Christian who is who really has a heart for those who, who don't see Christianity as true or good or real, uh, what would you say to them? I would say um, don't put up artificial barriers to someone coming to meet and be a disciple of Christ. Um, the advice would be be gentle, be respectful, you know, always give a reason for the hope that we have, but do it with gentleness and respect. And all of those things, um, and, and that's probably the, the advice that a lot of people would give. But I think my 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 biggest thing would be would be that, you know, it's if we make coming to God really difficult for people, we shouldn't be surprised when when people find it really hard to come to faith. And again, as I mentioned earlier, you know, if if we insist that the only interpretation of Genesis, for example, is a six-day creation and a six thousand year old earth. And I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not getting into that debate. I'm just saying that if we make that a condition um, or any other doctrinal point, a condition other than the the core doctrines of the Christian faith, um, if we make that a condition of belief, then then we're just making it really, really hard for people to to see the invitation of God. Um, And so I'd say, you know, just just reflect on that and, you know, um, pray for people. You know, a lot of people were praying for me all the way through. But um, you, I mentioned that I spent a year in Kenya after university, and I spent um, a year there with a chap called Philip, who was from a similar place in London where I lived, and we got to know each other throughout that year and became really good friends. He went on to do mission work in Tanzania, and um, after I left faith, I just lost touch with him. So I'd not spoken to him for about 10 years when, I, when at the point that I came back to faith. I didn't know um, that he knew that I'd fallen away. So I kind of reconnected with him on Facebook, got his email address, and I sent him an email and I told him my story. And I said, look, I'm really, you know, I hope we're sitting down. But nine years ago, I abandoned my faith and became an atheist. And, you know, but but recently I came back to faith. And um, he was uh, studying in the US, British. He studied. He's um, he got his um, doctorate in New Testament studies. Um, he was supervised by someone called Craig Keener. I don't know if you know. Yes. Keener. Oh yes. Um, and so Philip was studying for his PhD, um, and he sent, he's a really great guy, uh, very faithful, very British. He's described himself as so British that even British people think he's British. Um, <laughs> and um, not one to exaggerate but he emailed me back and he said um, Jim I was really thrilled to hear from you uh, by the way I, I actually knew that you'd fallen away because word had got around the grapevine and I was really shocked back then especially given your experience of, of you know being a Christian and, and all the reasons why you were a Christian and I prayed for you but over the years apathy set in and I forgot and time moved on 
And then he said, until recently, a few months ago, you were in a dream. And after this, I had this dream, and it wasn't a very specific dream, but you were in it, and I woke up with a strong sense to pray for you every day, which I did at least every day, if not every week from that time on. And he said, so I was thrilled when you reached out to me soon after, and even more thrilled to find out that you'd actually come back to faith when I was hoping that you would just be reconsidering God again. And this just knocked me for six because I just thought that moment that he'd had that dream, the moment that he'd had that conviction to pray for me, thousands of miles away, with 10 years of silence, that very moment that he decided to pray for me was the moment that I started to consider God again. Um, and so the message is that don't, just don't forget that this isn't just a, a, a physical kind of thing that's happening here that you know this is spiritual and and prayer is important keep praying um for people and um you know and don't give up hope you know i know again that's not to suggest that it was only philip's prayer um of course because i know a lot of people were praying for me and i really appreciate that but um i just found it remarkable that you know i really felt that um that prompting to pray at that time um was um, specifically the right thing for that time as I was going through that journey of rediscovering God. That's extraordinary. And it, it is truly a word for all of us how I think, as you spoke of earlier in your story, there's a sense in which Christianity can become too ordinary mm. uh, for us as Christians. And it, be, it can become less and lesser. And, and less related to our our daily lives. Yeah. But you are a vivid reminder that that is a, it's really not a good thing for many different reasons. First of all, just the fact that those who really appreciate that life is more, that the Christian life is extraordinary and it is supernatural and that there is a God who oversees and superintends and engages in, as you said at the very beginning, in your first, in your journeying to God for the first time, very person, he's a person, yeah. a person whom we can know, a person who knows us and loves us infinitely. And so much so that he listens to the prayers of his people yeah. and, and that lives are changed. And yeah. there's, uh, what a beautiful portrait that you have painted of your life both towards God, away from God, and, the, and then even more robustly towards this beautiful and full relationship with God that is not only intellectual but existential and, and makes sense of your life and makes sense of all of reality even. So thank you for spending the time. I think it was well worth spending this time uh, to to hear your your entire story so thank you jim so much for coming on board you're welcome it's a pleasure to speak with you and um, just thanks for the opportunity to share my story uh, you're so welcome jim thanks for tuning into the side b podcast to hear jim's story you can find out more about the resources he mentioned in the episode notes listed on the podcast page for questions and feedback about this episode, you can reach me by email at the Side B Podcast at cslewisinstitute.org. If you enjoyed it, subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and social network. I would really appreciate it. In the meantime, I'll be looking forward to seeing you 
next time where we'll be seeing how someone else flips the record of their life.